0: The preaching of the word today comes from Galatians five sixteen, and it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We'll begin with some prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, your word is, is good, it's pure, it's righteous, and it is pleasant, God. And We ask that as we come under your word that you transform us into your image, God. That is what we long for, that's what we want, that's what we desire, God. Please work that out now. During this time when we come to worship you and feast upon your word, God, we know that you will satisfy us right now as you will satisfy us throughout all of eternity. So God, we ask that you would do that and we pray this in absolute faith, knowing that you will accomplish your will. Amen. Amen. I can stand before you today and say with absolute certainty that I am the younger brother of my older brother. Perhaps you've been there. Uh, For me, it was my older brother, John, who's only about two, two and a half years older than me, but a multitude of years ahead of me, it seemed like, in uh, just being liked, for one thing, uh, being stronger, bigger, faster, smarter than me, and everything that you can imagine. So you grow up and you're in uh, sixth grade and Ed class, or eighth grade FIE Ed class, and you're doing your best to eke out just one measly pull-up to shred to to save whatever shreds of self dignity that you might have in middle school, which is hard to come by. And as you're trying to eke this out, you know you're the Phi Ed teacher he comes by and needles you a little bit, and he says why don't you just do them like John did? He's got the school record, you know? And you go, yes, yes, I know, I know. Same thing with the football coaches. Same thing with other teachers, you know? Well, why don't you just do it like him? Why don't you just do it like John? Even even, uh, even when soccer, you know, the coach would quickly realize for every measure of dominance that one son of the family had, the younger brother had an equal measure of absolute ineptitude. And so from a young age, from a very young age, you begin to learn and you're reminded that you can't do it, but that you should be looking to Him who can. And such an upbringing, apart from Christ, would would fill the coffers of many uh, psychologists and counselors, but what a wonderful upbringing. What a glorious way. It's the greatest gift God can give you. Is to realize that you can't do it. But you should be looking to Him who can do it and Him who has done it. So as we finish up our brief journey this morning, going through um, walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, we're going to be looking not to ourselves, but rather to Christ. So what we're going to be driving home here is this, obviously, just walk in the Spirit. It's been the main idea for now three weeks in a row. Hopefully you've been able to to sink it in a little bit, walk in the Spirit. So what are we going to be looking at? One, we're going to be following Christ as we walk in the Spirit. And then finally, briefly, we're going to be looking at how we do that with others. So walk in the Spirit, following Christ, and then very briefly, if we have time, doing it with others. As you know, this is uh, our last week again as we look through the fruit of the Spirit. And we've actually not spent a lot of time going through the whole list on what the fruit of the Spirit actually are. And that's not through a, a misappropriation of time or anything like that. But rather, it's it's been done quite intentionally as we laid out these sermons. As you remember, two weeks ago, the first sermon that we had on this, we talked about how years of, of Christian living can be thrown out in, in 20 minutes. A marriage can be thrown out. Lifelong friendships can be thrown out the window in 20 minutes. And it's because of that that these matters of holiness are being held before us. And they're not to be cast aside, but they're mighty and they're weighty. And they're to be wrestled with as we have our Christian lives. And so then we look at, okay, so walking in the spirit. Okay, well, that sounds nice, but it also sounds abstract. So what does that really mean? Well, okay, so to walk in the Spirit is to yield our lives entirely to Him and relinquish all control of our lives and lay it at His feet. Every decision. Walking, walking in step with the Spirit. Walking in step with the Spirit. Not stumbling along, you know, you walk with someone. Just the slightest little misstep, you go stumbling along. So That's not what you want. It's not as, oh, I did great. I made it to Mike's Bible study. I'm good. I'm good for the week. No, no. Constantly, every every step is with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and this gentle leading of the Holy Spirit, ever so gentle leading of the Holy Spirit, is critical to the Christian life. So, that being said, we talked about. How we are walking in the Spirit. And so then we shouldn't feel guilty when we're constantly wrestling with sin. Because we're still here in the flesh, are we not? And so Jesus Christ himself, he was even tempted, though he did not sin. And we haven't been fully redeemed out of our flesh. We have this redemption waiting for us when we go see Christ face to face. So then last week we talked a little bit about our approach to this flat, to the fruit here. And we see that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's singular, but it's this natural reflection of a transformed life. And so how oftentimes we will seek to adorn ourselves with the graces of God, even though we ourselves have not been transformed one bit. Much of our Christian teaching and preaching will command, will, will heap on these commands and this guilt onto the Christian life. And it's inevitable then. That people who are, are spiritually dead aren't seeking after Christ to transform their hearts. But rather they're just trying to do the next good thing and the next good thing and the next good thing. Rather than seeking Christ to transform them. So as we come to our text here, let's just read these last couple verses that we're going to be focusing in on here. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. And now we've we've been finally at the end of the last sermon, we turned our focus to the So the fruit of the Spirit, and we're going to be going through them. And we talked about how we're going to have a seven-point sermon this week. I was talking about it with Rachel, the the prophet of our house. And she said, don't do it. You know, they'll they'll be crying out with like Cain, you know, thy judgment is too great, you know. You'll, You'll lose them after number two. So don't even try to get through seven here. So naturally, heeding her supper, I heeded her advice. And we switched it up. And we're going to... So we're going to look at Christ and what we're going to be doing actually is turning to Luke chapter 9 if you, or Luke chapter 8 if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 8 and verse 40. And rather than just saying, here's the list and then plowing through this list, we're going to just look at a story of Christ's life and see how he is displaying these various fruit throughout his life. So if you can, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8 here. Luke chapter 8. And this is an amazing story. There's actually two stories in one. You have Jairus and and his daughter who is ill, who passes away. And then right in the middle of this story is is nestled in another story of this woman who has been bleeding for, for 12 years. And every story, every place that this is told... The the synoptic writers, they sometimes feel this freedom to kind of switch stories around. But this structure has been kept. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they haven't changed it at all. And it's as though they want you to begin to see and to begin to understanding that the healing of one will inevitably bring about the healing of another. As we look to the resurrection of one, will inevitably inevitably then bring the resurrection of another as well. So he's training us, even through the structure of this story, to see what is going to be happening with the crucifixion and resurrection, and then on into our lives as well. So, verse 40 here in Luke chapter 8. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him, and there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling, falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. At this point in the ministry of Jesus Christ, he's still around the the Sea of Galilee. You'll see that later on in Luke, he turns his face and he heads towards Jerusalem. But right now he's still in the Sea of Galilee, up up north. And uh, just prior to this, he had been on the what would have been the eastern side of uh, the Sea of Galilee. And he had a wonderful day of going to the tomb, seeing a man who was demon-possessed, casting out those demons. Uh, The man is of sound of mind, but there's demons. They ask, where can we go? He says, there's some pigs. Go over there. And they do. And 2,000 pigs then go hurling themselves off the hills, off the cliffs, and into the sea and drown themselves. And that's quite the day. So they, everybody around there, I'm not rejoicing in this man who is now of sound of mind, who was formerly, they tried to tie up, but they couldn't. And uh, they're not rejoicing in that. They're seeing their livelihood now f- fatally floating, not swimming, in the sea. And they ask him to leave. So he leaves and he's going back to Capernaum, now his home base on the northern slopes, the northern parts of the Sea of Galilee. Very beautiful. And uh, he is greeted by this commotion. And Jairus here is, I hope you caught it, he's a ruler of the synagogue. And he has one daughter, 12. And this daughter here is now on the shores of the Jordan, proverbially, and about to cross over into the eternal promised land. Desperate times will drive men to do the most desperate of things. And you see this here, even with Jairus. Remember, he's, he's a, a ruler in the synagogue. So he's part of the people that have been posing Christ his whole ministry. When he, when, so let's just look at the, the account of G, uh, Jesus calling Matthew the tax collector. He calls him there. That's happening in Capernaum as well. People like Jairus are there. And rather than rejoicing that Jesus Christ is pulling this tax collector into redemption. And they're feasting with 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 other sinners and with prostitutes. And lavishing on them the grace of God that they might repent. Rather than rejoicing in that, they go, Oh, he, he dines with tax collectors and with sinners. What a horrible, wretched man. That's Jairus. He's among that crowd. He's calling out amongst the scoffers and the scorners. Of Christ in his ministry. Just in verses. A little bit prior to this. He, he has healed someone who is paralytic. And he says take courage son. You, to the paralytic. Your sins are forgiven. Christ says. And their response is. This man blasphemes. They, they don't care that a man was just forgiven of his sins. That he was paralytic. And that now we can walk. They don't care about that. They just want to find some technicality. To write him off. Because he's cutting in on their ministry. Heaven forbid. So, Jairus is amongst that crowd that has been opposing Christ this whole time throughout his ministry. And here you see the kindness and the goodness of Christ. And it seems as though these two flow together quite a bit. So, the kindness is this inward disposition and the goodness is the outworking of this kindness towards others. It's a perfect example here of, of someone who is among the scoffers and the, uh, and the mockers of Christ. At every turn, he has opposed Christ throughout his whole ministry. Not when it grows big, but even in the fledgling moments of his Christ ministry. Here is Jairus probably opposing him. But they know of the kindness of Christ and they know of the goodness of Christ towards others. And that if He comes, it will also be shared with Him. And thankfully, the grace of God doesn't reject men like G- Jairus. When they come to Him in absolute desperation. And thankfully, we say that. Thankfully, because that is us. That is our state. When we come to Christ in absolute desperate situations. And everything else is failing. We come to Him and He will not reject us in His kindness, in His goodness. He will never Push us away. As Jairus had been doing to him this whole time. Go back to the text here. As Jesus went, the people were pressing, uh, were pressing around him. For there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all of her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And oftentimes, w- without knowing it... it we lose the the, the tension of the situation that that's going on here. The pressure's on, the crowds around him, and Jesus is on his way, and all he wants to do is go to Jairus' daughter. And this story has this whole new layer now added in on top of it. And this woman, the, by the fact of by the fact that she's a woman, and probably not married, because you hear nothing of her husband, which you probably would have in the first century. And she has this medical condition that precludes her from all social gatherings. She's never been able to go to the, even the outer courts of the temple with the other women. She's never been able to partake in that. She's the, the truest essence of the social outcast. And here is Christ. And she, verse 44, and she came up behind him and touched him in the fringe of the garment. And immediately her the discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who has touched me? And they all denied it. And Peter said, Master, crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. They didn't socially distance back then. And Jesus said, someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And here you see the patience of Christ, do you not? The patience that Paul is referring to is this longness to grow angry. This, this, this uh, you have a long, long ramp before your emotions begin to kick in. It's a long ways before you're carried off by your emotions. And here in the heat of the day when Jesus is surrounded with a crowd that's so tight that he cannot, can't even tell who's touching him and what's going on and all the disciples are saying, what's the use? we have no idea. We have the crowds pressing in upon us. And all that Jesus is trying to do is get to Jairus' house to try to heal his daughter. But no, he's got this, this crowd with him. It's like, I'm just trying to get the supper ready. I've got these kids I've got to deal with. I've got to feed them every day. And Jesus is trying to do this. And all this distractions going on. And here you see the patience of Christ. The patience of Christ. In the midst of this affliction and trials. He's long-suffering. For me, the patience seems to be the, the fruit whose bud never seems to bloom. I'll even be reminded, uh, in the midst of my voice frustration with the kids at the house, the little daughter who will remind me, "Dad, we prayed for your patience." <laughs> Remember, we've been praying for your patience." Verse forty-seven. When the woman saw that she had that she was not hidden, she came, not rejoicing, but she came trembling, and falling down before him, as, as though it's it's the picture is almost like someone who comes into the court of a king, and they know oh, I'm not supposed to be here. What's going to happen? She comes to him trembling, falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And, and so what's he going to do? You see this tension of going on, building up in the story. Well, what's he going to do? He's just been touched by a lady who's unclean. Thus, that implication means that now he is unclean, Right? Unless there is one who is truly clean, that can carry all of our uh, sorrows and all of our burdens. And he himself will not be made unclean. Verse 48, and he said to her, daughter. So beautiful. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. You can hear the gentleness just coming out of his words here of his voice daughter how long had it been since she had heard anything like that so sweet so kind so gentle in the midst of all of the chaos and the heat of the day you have a, this la- this young girl who's about to die the crowd's pressing in no oh gentleness even in the midst of all of this patience even in the midst of all of this the kindness and the goodness that they know about that jairus would even feel remotely confident to come to him we must be careful brothers and sisters not to presume that gentleness is weakness not the same it's actually the opposite when you're confident enough to in the lord to be gentle You're not being weak. You're displaying your confidence through gentleness, is what you're doing. Those who are weak cannot be gentle. They act rashly towards other people. They have no accommodations in their hearts to be gentle. So don't presume that just because you're gentle that you are weak. No, you're displaying the confidence that you have. Not in yourself, obviously. You're displaying the confidence that you have. In the Lord. And you're, you're inherently being vulnerable. By being gentle. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Just imagine the doors. That, that can open up. For the gospel. When you are being patient. And when you are being gentle. In situations like this. When no one would expect it. When everybody else expects you to be harsh. And to be in a hurry. Because you've got things to do. And you're important. Right? Right? No, being patient. Being gentle. Even with the chaos that's going on around you. Don't you know, and this is Jairus. He's looked up to in the city. He's a ruler in the synagogue. The main meeting place. The, the ethno, the, the, the capital, the, every, the, the central of the whole city. That's Jairus is there and he's the ruler of it. You should be pushing everybody aside to, to go help him. No, 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 no. Let me, let me wait. Let me be patient. Let me be gentle. On the way. Verse 49 here in Luke. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus went on hearing this and answered him, Do not fear, only believe. And she will be well see here the, the, the peace of Christ. In the most, even in the most horrific, horrific of circumstances. And we think that we're going to have peace in our lives when the circumstances are good. The kids are in bed and you're paying bills and you actually have money enough to pay all of your bills. So you're, now you have peace in your life. And actually you're right to think that your peace is tied in with your circumstances. That much we get correct. But we're a little too short-sighted. Our peace is tied up with our eternal circumstances. That we are the eternal sons and daughters of God. That whatever happens in this world cannot be shaken. That that cannot be shaken. We will not be torn and pulled away from our eternal home that is in Christ. Thus we have peace. That's built upon what Christ has done internally for us and for you. So whatever happens, we can have peace. Verse 51. And when the, he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, Johns, and, Peter, John, and James, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. In, in the, these eastern funerals, you, you there's no... There's solemnness, but it's voiced, screaming, not weeping, not tears, but screamed, wailing going on. You would even have people who were hired to come to be a part of these funerals to elicit this the screaming and this wailing that's going on. Not to make as they wrestled with the gravity of the situation of of death, that you realize this is not how it's supposed to be. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And naturally, verse 53, they all laughed at him, right? They're, They're supposed to be weeping and wailing and mourning. And quickly that turns into laughing, not of joy, but just of scoffing knowing that she was dead. And here you see the self-control, the restraining self-control of Christ. When everyone else is mocking you for trying to do a good thing, you see this. This this self-control, this restraining of your desires. How easy it would have been if it was us to say with Christ what he would have said. Like, you know... Of course she's not dead. Don't you know that I made her? And I can raise her. You know, there's nothing like that. No. He just lets the work of God do his speaking. The work of God do his bidding. You want to laugh at me? That's fine. I'm going to keep my hand to the plow and I'm going to keep doing the work of God. And this this inability, so in our world, this inability to control our emotions has somehow Made you more virtuous. Like the less restraint you have, the more virtuous you are now. Are um, you? You film yourself screaming in your car about some current event, and now you're you're woke. You're virtuous, and you know you have no restraint, no self control whatsoever. But you have you, you you just throw yourself into whatever it might be, and now you're virtuous. No, no, no. We even have we have men who who flown around our own, not just with one woman, but with multiple women, and they're somehow, somehow, have grained a moral high ground in our culture. I have no idea how this happens. As Christians, we want self-control because the fleeting emotions of our lives mirror the fleeting passions of this world. And we don't want to buy into that. So verse 54, we're coming to the end. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Uh, A child, arise, talia, thakum, kumai. And, And then her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat, and the parents were amazed, and charged them to tell, and he charged them to tell no one what had happened. And here, finally, briefly, you see the love of Christ. That through Him we might all partake in this resurrection. So beloved, I I hope you see. As we look at these fruit of the Spirit, we don't look to ourselves whatsoever. We yield our lives entirely to Him. We walk in step with the Spirit. And when we do this, we're actually becoming more and more like Christ Himself. It's beautiful. And here at Redemption as we move on to the point number 2 here we'd be remiss here at redemption if we didn't rem- if we didn't mention the the corporate nature of of these verses here so let's go back here to the verses here but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness self control against such things there is no law for those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires if We, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. You see this, the changing of the pronouns. The pronouns will often betray us, either for better or for worse. Listen to someone when they start talking about we... Who are they talking about we with? Who are they associating themselves with? And when they're beginning to say they, you know, when you're having this discussion about in-laws, it's, you know, and it becomes heated. It's like, oh, they, you know, you're there's this separation, you know, but everything's we going well, and then it's a, a we type of conversation is going on. So look at the pronouns that Paul is using here. And it's as if Paul can't, can't help himself to again remind us of the corporate nature, the collective w- nature of our walk with God. If you are walking in the Spirit, I guarantee you that you will not be doing it alone. Isolation does not lead, or obedience to the Spirit does not lead to isolation. It may not save you from trials and tribulation and heartache. Yes, you're going to have those. Even as you walk in the Spirit, of course. But you won't be alone as you do it. As you walk through them, you will not be alone. So you notice finally also the the conditional aspect of of these verses. If, if you are living in the Spirit. it's, It's this call to examine ourselves. And does this, does the fruit, does this exemplify, does your, your life exemplify this fruit? Is this, is someone looking at you and saying, oh, there it is, there it is. And to be honest, this is where you get, i just kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. This is where you get to the the tension of a sermon, right? So we spend uh, 15 minutes or so telling you that you can't do it. And you go, oh, okay, I'm a wretched sinner. I need Christ. You know, and then we tell you about this, someone or somebody who has come and done it, Christ. And we look to him and it's glorious and it's beautiful. And not only has he done it, but he's done it for us. Because remember, we can't do it. And then at the conclusion of the sermon, what we typically do is tell you to do all of the things that we just told you that you can't do. And it, So what so this is the tension of this sermon of how do you how do you come leave here knowing there's something I must do, but also you come in the door with your head hanging low because you know I didn't do it. So what is it? What's the key? What's the catch? We sing it often. Yet not I, but Christ in me. So when we look to this fruit of the Spirit, when we want this in our lives, we don't go, oh, I must love more. Oh, I must have more joy and patience. I'm going to wrestle with that. I'm going to have that. I'm going to do that in my life. No, if you want that in your life, look to Christ. Look to Christ. Come to Christ. You can't manufacture this within your own life. You can't do it. That's the beauty of the gospel is that you can't. But Christ in you can. So come to Christ. Come to him. He is the one that will wash you clean. He is the one that will heal you. He is the one that will raise you from the dead. Come to Christ. He is the one who will work in your heart. To naturally produce all of this fruit. That you can't do in and of yourselves. He will naturally bring it about in your life. When he transforms your heart and mind and soul. Into his image, which is glorious and beautiful. That is when he gets all of the glory. He is the one that will stir and change your affections and your emotions. To not long after the things of this world and go chasing after them, but to long for him and go chasing after him that you might live like him and thus naturally live out this fruit in your life. So come to him. You want the fruit of the Spirit? Come to Christ. And He will change your heart. And change your life. That He might receive all of the glory. Let us pray. Let us pray. Heavenly Father. We thank You for the hope that we see in Luke. Um, in Luke. And we just read. But God, we, we know that eventually Jairus' daughter, she died again. So God, even the resurrection of this world is not what we long for, God, but we long for our eternal resurrection that can happen. Through the work of your son, God, until we get there, we ask that you would naturally bring about this fruit in our lives as we walk and step with the spirit as we seek your son. If we seek his beauty through your word, through worship, through fasting, through prayer, God. Naturally bring this about that we might display your glory throughout this world. Amen.